I could meet some, I could meet women like this, like in, in that like split second, I could be like, yeah, no problem. I'll share my bank details with you. My romantic attraction to men is very much, I'm, you know, like, you know, slap me. And then I'll be like, who taught you how to hit your husband? Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of Life of Bi. Absolutely thrilled you've come back for another dose of bisexual angst. I'm Al Potter. And I'm Mary Higgins. And this episode is just a little fella. Just a quickie. Won't take long, don't worry. We simply had to dedicate an entire half of an episode to Samantha Sun. Who you heard a bit from last episode. Sin and shame? Ring any bells? Samantha describes herself as a Chinese-Canadian circus performer, aerialist, activist, stripper... And bisexual. Well, actually, she says... I don't really like labels. I call myself gay all the time, but, like, I still resentfully fuck men sometimes. So I guess that's what bi is. Samantha is part of the pan-Asian drag collective The Bitten Peach. Named after the ancient Chinese legend about Mitzi Sha, who offered the duke he loved a delicious peach. Remember? It's a great story. Written, if you can cast your minds back, in 493 BCE. It is both my honour and privilege to present to you the Beaten Peach family. Anyway, Samantha had little to no connection with the legend. She'd never even heard of it before she joined the Bitten Peach. Believe it or not, I'm like quite far removed from a lot of, I'd say like Chinese history for like two reasons. A, I was raised in the West and B, I'm like Hong Kong Chinese, not like mainland Chinese. So like, I actually wasn't exposed to it that much. So the bitten peach is how I found out about this legend. On her Instagram, Samantha often talks about the fact that her sex work requires her to perform Asian stereotypes. We wondered if her Chinese heritage actually influences her sexuality in any way. It, it does in a lot of ways, and I don't think I can escape from them. I don't think there are things that need to be escaped from. Um, I didn't really feel this in Toronto. I grew up in a very Asian community here. So, like, for me, it's very, like, it, being Asian here is just being normal. But, like, when I went to London, I moved there at 18, other people made me feel more Asian. Because I'm, for some people, their only Asian friend, which is bananas to me. So Samantha stuck out a bit more in London than she was used to back home. But sticking out doesn't always have to be a bad thing. So like this, this like this idea and this image of like what is stereotypically sexually attractive for Asian women is not something I asked for, but it's something that was put onto me. And then I learned very quickly that you could profit off of it. So I started using this to my advantage at a strip club at the age of 19. This is like your formative years, right? So like this and then compounded with all the all the like, I only know how to be gay in like a... I'm going to give a lesbian show away is is kind of it massively affects like my personal life. I think there is always some sort of performative aspect Mm -hmm. to sex. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because there's a kind of transformation that happens. Yeah. And it's kind of innate. Yeah. But I also think it's 
probably important to be able to not perform. Mm. And like sometimes it takes years, like years and years to actually let go of that when you want to, when it would mm. be good to. Mm-hmm. And we're saying that as people who mainly discovered our sexuality in private. Yes, and it must be a very different thing. The nature of performativity is very different if you're perf- doing a performance in your private life to performing your sexuality on a literal stage. But like I don't have a roadmap for what like my interactions with women might look like if no one's watching, which is really sad. Um and then it's not until like it's not until I've basically done what I think insane people do, which is you just do the same thing over and over again, hoping for different results. And this is how I feel about sleeping with men. I just like kept on doing it. And I was like, well, I don't like this. Why? Maybe it's the guy. Maybe it's not me. When reality is, if you have like a puffer fish moment where you're like, I don't like this. It's usually not the other person. That's usually a you problem, right? And it took me so long, like literally until like this year to realize, oh, like, hmm, I should just have sex with women. I think that maybe is better. And I like it a lot more. Maybe that's what that is. Anyway, it like that's kind of like the intersection. So it's like more like a Venn diagram of like Asian stereotypes and then a Venn diagram of gay stereotypes, like lesbian stereotypes. And that that the little crossover is like me. Strangely, Samantha's was really the only interview where we waded into the male gaze, like, at all. Yeah, I expected it to come up a lot more. Yeah, because we basically concluded in episode three that it was just harder for cis men to be bisexual. Yeah. But that doesn't undermine the fact that it's still fucking difficult for literally everybody else <laughs> yeah. who's bisexual. Well, sometimes I think it's just hard to be sexual, full stop. Mm. Like, particularly if you're femme presenting. But then again, I don't know if anyone is born sexually free. Well, no, I think you are born sexually free. And then life fucks you up. And then life fucks you up. Honestly, my hetero experience was pretty much all performative for like the male gaze. I don't, again, I'm not given, I've never been given a roadmap for what like it should look like if no one else was watching because everyone has been watching my entire life and everyone is still watching and they will watch until I no longer look like this. And I'm Asian, so I'm going to look like this till I'm 50. So we spent a lot of time on Samantha's Instagram, oh, yeah. basically just drinking in how much of a fucking goddess she is. <laughs> you fancy her? Yes, I did. And so did you. Yeah. Okay. It's true. <laughs> it's true. Samantha posted a series of photos where she poses nude with an octopus, a real life octopus, a real dead octopus. Um, we wanted to ask you if you had like a series of nude octopus photos on your mm. Instagram um which we thought were referencing uh dream of a fisherman's wife that oh god yeah. erotic painting Definitely. yeah yeah good just checking dream of the fisherman's wife by the way is a japanese woodblock print made around 1814 by katsushika hokusai the fisherman's wife is lying on her back and an octopus is going down on her not just one octopus l there's a little one on her face fingering her nipples we can talk about it. Do you want to talk about how much I love octopuses or do you want to talk about the references in those photos? We can do both. Uh, let's do both. So tentacle porn is very obviously like Japanese and like anime and hentai, which by the way is fucking amazing. Like I do not judge you if you watch hentai because I watch it too. It's great. Okay. Hentai is a genre of pornographic Japanese manga and anime. It's sort of the great, 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 great grandchild of Dream of the Fisherman's Wife. 
also it's nice because as a gay person you can then watch like this animated sexy like hot big-titted whore get fucked by something that's not a dick so like a tentacle is a fabulous like alternative it's a phallic object that's kind of nasty but it's not a dick so it's not gendered so i don't get like upset by it (laughs) but that's that is like the actual reason for that is that after um world war ii or actually during the american occupation america occupied japan after the second world war from 1945 till 1952 with backup from the british commonwealth never willingly uninvolved the allied powers wanted to make sure that japan would never pose such a military threat again so the first port of call was abolishing the armed forces and introducing a democratic parliament there's something very fishy about forcibly imposing democracy, though. Mm. Along with democracy came some, on the face of it, wholesome reforms, like women were given equal rights and there was supposedly freedom of speech. But in reality, the US kept a strict hold on the press, especially when it came to porn. So, like, before the Americans, like, got their hands on Japan, they used to be, like, really, really, like, open and, like, censorship wasn't the thing like these like wood block prints that are like erotic art or like softcore porn it's just art that people like had it, it was super normal like it wasn't it wasn't really taboo then the americans came and like imposed all their like puritan values on them and then as like a whole entire monolith like all of east asia like just suffered from this fucking amnesia like over like the 40s 50s 60s 70s as they started to get economically more um robust they just wanted to have proximity to the western culture because like that's like the top like if you can reach that like you've made it basically anyway what comes with this is also their censorship laws so japan still has some incredibly strict censorship laws like you cannot publish it's like illegal to publish porn that doesn't have blurred out genitalia one of the ways to get around this right is instead of having an actual penis you substitute with phallic objects and again tentacles people are just never not gonna wank ever yeah and porn has been around forever porn will never die i mean like (laughs) it's like watching the evolution of an incredibly intelligent animal that Mm. keeps adapting every five seconds yeah like have you have you seen any covid porn yes i have actually what was it it was called um it was by x confessions uh-huh. it was called quarantine quartet oh mm. sounds very dignified like a like a chamber concert well x confessions is pretty dignified it was like four different videos of people wanking on quarantine i meant more like rubbish porn that's porn like hub. uh quarantine nurse accidentally gives me a blowjob what's a quarantine nurse like she's wearing a mask difficult to give a blowjob <laughs> <though. laughs> very good point <laughs> Oh, the point is, sexuality is highly adaptable and will always find a way. I personally love octopuses. Like, I have a tattoo of one. I've spent a lot of time reading a lot of books about one. I would like to quit my life and then just scuba dive indefinitely and, like, make friends with octopuses. They are, like, they're just, they're so, so, so interesting and they're so smart. And what they what they represent to me is, like, a diverging diverging intelligence and being able to understand what life might look like for something so different. They experience life so differently. We cannot even begin to like comprehend with our like tiny human minds what that looks like. Like a third of like, no, two thirds of all their nerve endings are in their arms. So 
effectively, they think with their arms. They can also taste everything they touch. Like, that is how they interact with the world. Fucking imagine tasting everything you touch. What a nightmare. I would hate that. But that's how they, that's how they, like, interact with the world. That's kind of how they work. And that, and on top of, like, that with, like, how they're, like, how they move and, like, how they, like, how they look. They're very, like, alien and, like, squidgy and, like, kind of they're soft but also very very scary very very strong and very very i guess they they spark a lot of fear i think within the human psyche because of how different they are um all of that is very sexy did you see my octopus teacher you have an octopus teacher (laughs) (laughs) no you know what i'm talking about the netflix thing no i've heard of it yeah okay do you know what it's about though i mean presumably an octopus no 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 it's better than that this this guy Mm. go who I, I think he's a bit depressed anyway he oh yeah it's sad <laughs> <laughs> derailed <laughs> anyway he um he starts going to the sea every day and he meets this octopus and then he decides to see her every day and it's sort of like watching a relationship develop and it's wow. very romantic and there are these moments where he's holding the octopus in his hand and like it's very i wouldn't say it's tentacle porn but it's definitely tentacle intimacy Maybe Samantha needs to meet this guy. I think they need to. Maybe meet. they're meant for each other. I'm not saying I have a sexual attraction to octopuses. Okay, I'm just saying that like there's something there, and we could all learn a thing or two, and that I don't mind being naked with one. Like we're not going to get into bestiality here or anything, but I, I don't mind being naked with an octopus for artistic purposes. Yeah, last time I was in counselling, mm-hmm. she did this thing where she got me to pick elements of my current emotional state from a lineup. Of, of toys <laughs> of like figurines and I picked like um, a rat a lion and an octopus what did um, what did the octopus represent Mary? well Al <laughs> the octopus was my sexuality my private sexuality the rat was my like public sexuality right um, and the octopus was meant to be my sort of truest wisest gentlest self with many limbs for me, it's less about the octopus itself as like an actual animal and more about the symbolism and what they like their how they got here basically and what that represents. Cephalopods all have shells for protection because they're gelatinous little bodies, right? But imagine carrying around your fucking condo with you everywhere you go. It's shit for movement. It's terrible. So The octopus has evolved so that they can have full freedom. Their beaks, which are made of cartilage, not bone, cartilage, can are like the size of like a quarter. I guess for you, like a two pound coin. That's the size. So as long as any crevice is that small, they can fit inside it. That's fucking bananas. It's mind blowing. But that means that they're incredibly vulnerable. And so in order for them to survive and continue the species existence they have had to evolve we didn't expect samantha to have such esoteric knowledge of octopuses no and we were listening being like like wow this is great like we weren't moving but we were also thinking this just can't go in because what do octopuses have to do with bisexuality but then like basically outsmart everything around them and I love that. I love that. And I think I would love to apply that to my own life because I think the price you do pay for freedom is being incredibly vulnerable and incredibly like, like just exposed to the world and having zero stability and not really knowing where you're going to get your next meal. And it's just something that like I, I associate with being like an artist, a performer and a sex worker, because like 
truly the whole world is against you and you don't have, you can't just carry around your stupid ass shell all the time. And so the price I pay for this freedom is like being vulnerable all the time. And I'm, I just, I only can hope to be smart enough to survive the big blue. <laughs> and so, yeah, that's why I like octopuses. <laughs> Next time on Life of Bi. So I, I called myself bisexual for a while, but what I found out was that there were no bars I could go to. I couldn't pick anybody up. Nobody would kiss me. Any woman who takes part in a heterosexual couple helps to shore up male supremacy by making its foundation stronger. Every year, millions and millions of pictures are made of women with our legs spread. We're called beaver. We're called pussy. Millions and millions of pictures are made of us in postures of submission and sexual access. But it, it would still be another five or six years before I actually found out what clips were and where they were. I just want to say, it ain't over till the bisexual spin.